Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 136, Third Class Medical Reform, is here. And positive safety trends for GA, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome, aviation friends. I'm here with some of my favorite aviation geeks, av geeks all. We are because we listen to this podcast and we love to hear the diverse conversation that we have with all the different levels of, of uh, experience. And the one person that uh, I think I, I really want to say a shout out to and, and thanks so much for, for all they've done with the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the future in, a, in uh, an article that was written about her as Victoria. Victoria, hey, welcome this evening to the podcast, Victoria. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. We also have uh, Russ Rosleski and uh, Tom Frick and uh, Rick Felty and Larry Overstreet. Hello, all. How you doing? Hey, everyone. Yeah. Hey, Carl. Hey, Howdy. <laughs> it's good Good to hear from people that are up north because they're thawing out finally. I know uh, we were talking about that, Rick, and uh, I'm actually in the in the northern quadrant here yeah. in the mid-Atlantic. So it's uh, it's really nice to, to kind of thaw out a little. Uh, just remember yep. we talked about that winter flying, didn't we, a few episodes ago, didn't we, Rick? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, highs in the 50s today and wow. tomorrow. That's that's balmy. Do you guys go swimming January. when it gets into the 50s? No, the water the water <laughs> doesn't quite allow that. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. But, uh, well, it's yeah. good good to have you all here. And I am really excited to be here this evening and want to say thank you to all of our listeners and all the comments. Uh, please uh, keep coming in with those comments and go to the contact at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. Uh, we really appreciate what you have to say and, and uh, try to drive, you know, this podcast as far as what you want to hear. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get started, of course, uh, our sponsors, our sponsor this evening is aerospacescholarships.com. Aerospacescholarships.com is the largest online directory of scholarships for aerospace, aviation, all the way from uh, student pilot, private pilot, up to aircraft engineer management. Aerospacescholarships.com is uh, the new 2017 version. It is actually out shortly on both Amazon and also iBooks. And you can find that in iTunes. Uh, moving on to our announcements, I think, Larry, Larry, you have an announcement or a shout-out this evening. What is that? Yeah, uh, thanks, Carl. I've got a uh, listener shout-out to our listener and uh, friend of the podcast, Tyler Watkins, uh, who is Utypical Gamer on uh, uh, Twitter. Um, he tweeted a while back after listening to uh, the Stuck Mike podcast on Minimum Fuel, if you remember that episode, mm. um, that he realized that I was the DA-40 that uh, he had helped in Springdale, Arkansas. Remember, I told the story about how I became the hazard on the runway? Um, and so Tyler was one of the people uh, at, at the airport there who came out and helped me. I didn't know his last name, um, but glad to hear from Tyler. Glad you're a listener. Uh, that was fun to, to kind of discover each other in this way. So uh, thanks for your help, and thanks for listening. Well, thanks, Tyler. It's not, not often we get physical help from our listeners, do we? 
That was pretty cool. Pretty cool story, no. Larry. <laughs> and uh, but it was much appreciated. Believe yeah, I was me. Say, I'm, I'm sure you're happy that Tyler was there. So thanks for that. Thanks for that shout out. And uh, Tyler, thanks for your help with getting him off the runway there. Uh, also, the other announcements we have this evening are really important one is the FA released third class medical reform, the final rule. It's out, it's here, and it's here to stay. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the podcast this evening. It's one of our main topics. But uh, that was signed into law back uh, in July. Uh, I think it was July 15th. But they actually announced uh, that uh, the 10th of uh, January that it looks like they uh, they have the uh, reform and it's it's official. It's really cool. I'm very excited about this. We're going to talk a little bit more about the actual FA third class medical reform rule and uh, how it affects you. But boy, in only what is it? What day is this we're recording on the on the eleventh? News just came out. I know Tom, you you are saying, boy, you're, you're getting a lot of uh, inquiries about this, aren't you? It is. It's uh, you know today's the eleventh. It came out yesterday, and we're already you know the flight school I'm at already had. I had three people I talked to today were asking, you know, what what does this mean for me? How can I move forward? How can I get back in the sky? When can I start flying again? And and uh, it, I, I can. It, there's excitement, you know. People want to we want to get back into this. They've been waiting a long time to, uh, you know, get their wings back again. And 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 this is uh, this ruling is giving a lot of hope to uh, pilots that have been sitting on the sidelines for a while. So I'm curious to see where this goes and how quickly it uh, gets people back up and flying again. So Tom, just on that point, why is it giving people hope to get back into it again? Is is that because of the cost of the medical, et cetera? Have you been getting feedback? Um, not really. I mean, just people who thought that they couldn't fly, that they were medically incapable of flying, um, didn't really, uh, fit into the sport world and, and have just been waiting to, to get back to, uh, what they were flying before. Interesting. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, we're going to actually talk about that too, you know, overcoming certain challenges in your FA medical, et cetera. Now entering cruise flight. Let's talk a little bit about that. The FA medical reform and uh, what what's happening here as far as as what's changed, et cetera? Uh, so I don't know, Tom, if you wanted to you wanted to to talk a little bit about that, or if you wanted me to just give the overview on this. No, go ahead, Carl. Okay, you, the, you got. I, I know you got a good 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 head on this. Yeah, there there are actually some. It's interesting because what we've been hearing all along is it is actually what's happening with the medical reform there is a website you can go to and by the way if you're listening right now we have links in the podcast in the show notes if you're on itunes link to that uh it'll actually go you can go to fa basic med and it has some really good information there and also we have some videos so if you're listening right now go check that out uh but this is just a couple of the overview of this it's not affecting commercial pilots airline pilots because you're just going to have to keep doing what you're doing right now. Uh, But the people that affects are those that are flying aircraft with up to six seats, up to six seats, and up to 6,000 pounds, okay? So there's, there was some, you were talking about the light sport. There was a lot of questions I received recently about the limitations on horsepower. There is no limitation on horsepower or the number of engines or the gear type. So that's pretty huge. I mean, because that that includes so many more aircraft than the light sport category. Uh, as far as flight rules, it's it's either both everything day, night, VFR, IFR. Now here's what's interesting, and this this confused me when I first saw this, is that although it's the aircraft's up to six feet, 
the passengers are up to five passengers. Okay, so up to six seat and seats and five passengers, which kind of makes sense anyway, because if you have six seats, somebody's got to be flying a plane, don't they? So that's I was looking at that rule saying, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, also, um, a couple hey, things. Carl? Yes, sir. I have to assume what they're what they're doing there is the uh, you know if you got three kids that you're putting in right. two seats in the you know a bench seat in the back or something is kind of how I I interpret that where people have been doing that for quite some time and it's ah you know yeah. with I, I I I suppose it's it's permittable mm -hmm. but or, or you know as far as normal airplane operations but uh, for this yeah you can't have a six seat airplane you and put your you know wife and five kids, five in kids it, in that, cramming right. in there. So right, I right. think that's what it's intended for. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Good clarification on that one. Um, also, there's a couple things here, and I, I thought this was really cool, uh, is that there's some numbers you have to remember. Is You know, you have to remember that, and Mark Baker does this really well in a video, and by the way, the video of the week, I'll, I'll, I'll say it now, is actually Mark Baker talking about this rule. And basically, he, he has a you know, one, two, and four rule. You know, just remember that every year you have to get an annual uh, on your aircraft. Uh, and every two years you have to do usually your biennial flight review. But now, in addition, with this new rule, every two years you have to visit your personal physician. Excuse me, I'm saying that again. Every two years you have to take a free online course, a free online course every two years, okay? And then the four part of that, after every four years, you have to visit your personal physician, and you'll have a checklist to bring in with your personal physician, and just it's going to be a, a basically a discussion about your overall health, and you're going to go through these different this checklist and check the boxes. So again, you know the one, two, and four every year. Basically, remember you have to have an annual on your aircraft, and every two years you have to take this new free online course. And by the way, that online course uh, is still being developed by AOPA and the FAA, the FAA Wings Program, Safety Program. And these will be out there for you to, to take at any time. And we'll, uh, I'm assuming that's going to count towards your wings uh, if you want to do that for the FAA Wings Program. And then remember that, though. Every four years, you have to visit your physician. And you'll have to go through this checklist. And again, it's a, it's a great assessment of your overall health. So I'm pretty excited about that. A couple other things as far as restrictions on your aircraft and where you fly. Uh, the out, there's an altitude restriction, and that is actually up to up to 18,000 feet MSL. Uh, other in indications, uh, excuse me, limitations are an airspeed limitation of 250 knots indicated airspeed. And the other kicker here, and this is for people that want to make some money flying, you cannot operate for compensation or for hire under these new regulations and these new rules. It's interesting, though. If you look at uh, the the one really interesting part about this is the fact that now, uh, what do we do? I mean, when we, you know, when does this come into effect as far as my medical? Do I have to look back? And a big part of this is looking back at your health over ten years. So there's a there's this new thing. It's called a ten year look back period, and it actually applies to all medical, all issuances of a medical. So what does that mean? both a regular medical and also a special issuance medical. So you have to look back and at a period of 10 years and look at your medical. Make sure you had a regular medical or a special issuance medical. It could be expired, but you need to look back 10 years. 
And uh, so, but with that said, that means you have to have had that actual vet, uh, medical. But when you look back at that, make sure that it's never been revoked, suspended, withdrawn, or denied uh, in any way or any form. And that's really, really important to, to look back at that. Russ, you had a comment on that, I think? Well, yeah, definitely. The um, So this, is, this does not get you out of... Um, ever having a medical and that that's an impression that some people have had. Mm. I mean, you mentioned the, uh, the 10 year look back. If you had a medical sometime in the past 10 years, that's, that's good. But you, let's say you're a new, um, you know, a new pilot, you still have to get a medical, at least the way that, that I'm reading it right. now, because you have to have had a medical at some point. Um, then that very well may, may be the last medical you ever get, which is good. But, uh, yeah, it's not quite like, uh, I guess sport pilot, in that you don't need to have any kind of medical. Uh, it just drastically reduces the uh, requirement there. Um, the other it, the other issue is you have to possess a U.S. driver's license, mm -hmm. and it can't be suspended or revoked or anything like that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know you know in, in some of the larger cities, certainly a lot of people don't have a driver's license potentially. So that that could be a, a an issue there. Uh, in addition, the I was reading some comments online. Uh, I guess some states, uh, I think Ohio was one example that I saw. They, I guess, they send you out annually some kind of request for information on your driver's license or something. And if you don't return it, they suspend your license. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you could get caught if you, uh, you, you know, you didn't get that letter or something, and your driver's license was suspended. So. Uh, yeah, you have to have a current U.S. driver's license at all times and have to have it with you because it serves as basically as your medical. Right. Good point. Also, yeah. uh, as far as that look back, um, this starts on a specific date, and that's uh, you look back 10 years, and that date is starting on it's uh, July. Uh, let me get the year right. It's July 15th of 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, 2006. Two did I say yeah, that? July 15, 2006, you have to have had a medical that was valid anytime after that date. Right. So if I guess if you were uh, under 40 at the time, I think it was only good for three years. So that'd be 2003 you got it. Some, yeah, there's a little bit of math involved there potentially, well, but uh, has to have been valid sometime after July 15, 2006. Right. And you have to look back at ten, those 10 years and yeah. you have to make sure that you've you had a valid certificate and it wasn't revoked, et cetera. So again, right. it's July 15, 2006, any time after July 15, 2006, I guess is the best way to say it, that you must have held a, a certificate any time after July uh, 15, 2006, if you're looking right. back that way. Um, Larry, you had a comment? Sure. Just for clarification, uh, you guys probably know this better than I do, but um, as I understand it from from the reading, it's uh, when you talk about couldn't be revoked or or whatever, uh, it, it it seemed to have language in there about the very most current one only. Mm -hmm. So if you lost a medical and then regained it, and your most current one was was good, even if it expired, then you're still good. So you you could have lost one along the way as long as it was uh, you were able to get it back. I, I'm yeah, glad I you brought right. that up. Sorry. Yeah, because in most okay. of the rules are written that way uh, when they talk about FAA okay. medicals is that your most recent uh, held certificate. Uh, so you could have had one revoked 20 years ago, but they always talk back from your most recent uh, certificate when they were talking about these rules. So I think that's one of the reasons they had the language that way. So I think that's really, really important to, uh, to mention that. Great, great point, Larry. And uh, Tom, you also had a comment on that? 
Yeah, just as uh, and uh, to Larry's point as well, um, you know, this this rule is a 77 page document and it's kind of hard to digest, but it, it does state in their language about having a comprehensive medical examination in the past 48 months. And it even lists what um, is entailed within that examination. In other words, a list for the physician to go through and what that examination should um, entail. So um, that's in the, that language is in there with it as well. Right. I just want to make that point. You know, another good point, too, is that we, we, we have to realize that the same rules apply as far as medications are concerned. So if you're taking medications that would disqualify you for, uh, for a medical, a regular medical now for a class 3, et cetera, and class 2, class 1, you have to be careful because that's, uh, that will actually apply. So that's why you have to have that conversation uh, with your physician and make sure that these medications you're taking will work with the FA. And actually, you can look on the website and, uh, and you can also talk to your FA, an FA examiner, uh, a medical examiner. By the way, that was another comment. It's like, well, how many, how about the medical examiners? What are they going to do? Well, there's, there's still a lot of medicals that are issued. Uh, there's a lot of people that fly for a living. So I think, I think they'll still be fairly busy uh, with those medicals and also a lot of questions that surround uh, the medicals that are issued. Also, another thing, too, is that, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in going to, with questions, to going to an FA medical examiner about my FA medical. I, I know there's a lot of people, it, it sounds almost obvious, but there's a lot of people who go to their regular uh, doctor and you might want to kind of have that conversation about something very specific, whether it's you're taking medicine for diabetes, whether you're taking medicine uh, for high blood pressure, et cetera, because there are a lot of people that do. You need to have that, that uh, conversation with an FA medical examiner. You're your doctor may have that knowledge, but a lot of times uh, they don't understand how it works with the, uh, with the FAA. But, uh, but you also, there's a lot of other things to this rule. In other words, you know, you consent to this national driver register check, which is kind of interesting. And uh, it, it's, it's really, like you said, it's a large document. There's a lot of different rules, but we are just kind of highlighting the big pieces of it. Uh, is this going to be, and I'd love to hear people's opinions here, what they feel about this new rule. Uh, is this going to be good for aviation, good for general aviation? I think it is, but, but I'd like to hear some of the other co-hosts. What, you know, what do you think? Do you think this will be good for general aviation and build the general aviation community? Um, I can say personally, I have two questions. Maybe one of you guys knows. Um, this is just optional, right? So could I technically go get my third class medical like I usually do? Sure. Yeah, okay, because yeah. I was thinking you have to go to the physician every four years, whereas my medical right now is good for five years. So if I'm getting picky, my medical, the way everything is right now, actually lasts longer. Um, furthermore, I was thinking price-wise, I don't have insurance. So if I were to go to a physician, how much is that going to cost me compared to just spending my 60 bucks at the AME and getting cleared for the next five years. So um, while it sounds great and I was really looking forward to, you know, letting my medical expire to, so to speak, I'm thinking for some people it might actually be a better option just to uh, keep things as is and not switch it up right now. Interesting. That That's a, a great, great uh, comment there. It's inter I was just listening to your, your, your price of your medical and, I'm kind of used to getting medicals for work and, and everything, all the EKGs and things like that. It, it's a lot more than that, getting all the other things. But that's a, that's a great price, and that's a great point, uh, is that you might want to just go to your FAA medical examiner instead. 
So that's kind of interesting. Um, Larry, uh, you had a comment. Uh, yeah, just a couple thoughts. Um, there are some reasons why uh, people would want to keep getting their third-class medical, and Victoria hit on a couple of them there. Um, a couple of others that kind of come to mind are uh, this is an FAA rule. Uh, it's not valid internationally. And so if you fly to Canada or if you fly to the Bahamas or whatever, those are not places where this, as far as I know, would be accepted yet. Um, I know the Bahamas in the past has been very accommodating to things like light sport, where they've created rules on their side to accept the FAA's, um, uh, you know, new, you know, when sport light sport was new, that that was something there. Um, and I'm curious, I don't know the answer to this, but if you fly over Canadian air or through Canadian airspace, but you never take off or land in the U, or you take off and land in the U.S., you never are on the ground in Canada. Um, but like if you're going across the Northern U S where you kind of go, you know, uh, uh, across Canadian airspace, if you want to keep a straight line, I'm kind of wondering how that'll all shake out. Um, so I think there are some cases you want to think about how you fly yourself and whether this makes sense or like Victoria said, you know, a five-year medical, if you're below 40, which I haven't seen in a long time, but, uh, if you are, uh, that might be a better deal in the, in the short run. Um, also, uh, I go to the doctor just for a regular basic physical every year. Um, mine is currently scheduled for March. Um, and this doesn't take effect until May. So my normal time I would be back at the dock would be the, you know, almost a year later. So I'm going to think about the timing on that. Um, and, and then you were asking about the impact. I think, uh, I know in the EAA chapter here uh, in Wisconsin that I'm part of, um, we've had, uh, some older pilots who have, slipped into uh, uh, flying sport aircraft, you know, light sport aircraft, because they were concerned about whether they would be able to get their medical back. But, you know, they still own the 172, you know, that's sitting in the hangar. Um, and, uh, you know, they have other people fly it now and then to keep it in, in the air. But, um, you know, I think there are cases like that where folks may be fine once they go through that uh, questionnaire with their doctor um, to get back into an airplane that's more comfortable for them, more familiar to them, uh, that they've got a whole lot more hours in uh, versus a, a new type of aircraft that, you know, is just uh, the, in the light sport world. Um, I, I'm just glad to have the extra options. And I think staying, uh, you know, with all due respect to the FAA, staying away from the FAA, sometimes uh, you reduce your risk of having, say, a mistake, et cetera, happen. Uh, you know, being in, in the world, you having to work with the FAA, getting a, your medical, and having to work with a lot of folks that have had problems with their medical, sometimes uh, you don't have a problem, but if, you, if the FAA thinks you do, you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to, to prove to the FAA that you actually don't have a problem. And that's uh, that's kind of a, a, a good deal. I mean, that's for for those type of people. It's like, well, and I think that's why the, the light sport was so appealing is now I don't have to run that risk of going to my doctor and, hey, there's a mistake in the medical. And, I gosh, I've had friends where there was a, a problem with their EKG and they were out of work for six months and it was just because the EKG lead was on there wrong. But I thought that was kind of right. interesting. And uh, so, so uh, Victoria, you had another comment. Um, yeah, just going about what Larry said with, um, you know, I have a lot of clients that are elderly men that are just waiting for this rule to come through so they can come fly again. And uh, when I say elderly, I don't mean any <laughs> of my present company. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> really? What um, was that supposed to mean? <laughs> I just realized I'm the baby of the podcast. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's um, even youngsters are trying to get into aviation and may have something that's really um, doesn't affect their flying, but it has affected them from getting the medical. Um, so you have to have a medical within the past 10 years or at one point if you're starting in aviation. And I know of a student pilot who was on um, some type of uh, antidepressant for like a year in high school. And we all know high school is depressing. So <laughs> just because he was on this antidepressant for a year, um, that like denied his medical. And so now he has this denial in here and is paying thousands of dollars to try to fight that um, where he was hoping that uh, this medical change would help him bypass all that. So I, I think there's some, it's not a great woohoo, like fix all that we've kind of all been waiting for, but I definitely think it opens up a lot of opportunities um, for those that have struggled in the past. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, it, this is something that I'm excited about. I know there's a lot of organizations, or some, I should say, organizations uh, out there that were, were very much opposed to this and very much opposed to this new ruling. Uh, and they actually worked with the FA and some of these other organizations as far as this new medical reform. And uh, although they may not have been happy with the total result, uh, they are happy with the fact that their input was taken and it was considered, and they had, had made a few changes because of that. So, uh, one of the one of the concerns of of, of two different organizations is: is this going to become the wild west as far as anybody being able to fly? And, and no, that's that's not what we're talking about here. And also, if we look at it from a very you know practical standpoint, is that really with light sport we haven't seen any type of increases in accident incidents. Uh, as a matter of fact. You know, general aviation is having a, a great year, aren't we, uh, as far as safety is concerned. So that's a that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but you know, there's there's also something interesting as far as from our standpoint, as far as I don't know, from say an insurance standpoint. I have my medical and I have to pay for it myself. I'm not sure uh, if on the insurance standpoint. You know, I know Victoria, you talked about not having insurance, but I guess there's. This will enable some people, I'm thinking, some people to be able to get their medical certification through their insurance carrier. I mean, what do you think about that, Victoria? Well, I've, I've actually been getting a lot of calls about this. Um, a lot are concerned that the um, insurance companies are still going to be requiring a medical and what we've done, we've been in touch, we've been reading through insurance policies and talking with underwriters. And right now, not many um, insurance policies specifically state that you are required to have a medical. Um, they require you to follow all FA regulations, um, but it doesn't specifically say um, you ha must have a medical. And where it does, um, it'll say along the lines of if required, by the FAA, um, or if, you know, if needed, if light sport, things like that. So it's not going to affect anyone um, who owns an aircraft and has their aircraft insurance um, as long as they are still within FAA guidelines. So whether you're following basic med or uh, the current 
routine. Um, and as I tell, a lot of people are calling in thinking right now, this is final law. They can let their medical expire today. No, it does not happen until May. So do make sure that you read through your aircraft policy. Um, if you can't find that section, just call your agent. They should be able to help you out and, um, make sure you're still following FAA guidelines no matter what. And that's a great point you made there, Victoria, because uh, one of the things we have to realize, this is effective May 1st, 2017. So you can't fly under this rule. It was signed into law July 15th, 2016, but it's effective May 1st, 2017. So that was a great point, uh, Victoria. I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think is is really exciting is the fact that to me, I'm hearing people say, I'm thinking of getting back into aviation. Just in general, that's exciting. And so it, it, whatever's happened with this rule, it's affected people. And it's making people move towards aviation, move towards general aviation. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, and you can read more about this rule, and there's going to be a lot more videos out there uh, discussing this. And uh, I love Mark Baker's uh, video about the 1, 2, and 4 and all the other things on the AOPA's website and also the FAA's website, the AOPA does a really bang-up job of, of, their, of all their training, but especially in safety and especially on these rulings. So make sure you look on their website, sign up for, even if you're not a member, sign up for the emails. It's really important. Well, gosh, uh, we're excited about this rule, as you can tell, but let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, one of the things that, that has been really interesting is the fact that we here at, at Stuck might get to interact with some really cool people and some amazing stories and those people usually a lot of times are our guests on a podcast but uh, there was a recent article that was written uh, by Carlene Pettit really cool on her blog uh, on Carlene Pettit's blog I can't remember the the name of the blog I will in a minute but it's flight uh, to success thank you very much flight to success and uh, it was written about uh, our one and only uh, Victoria Newell and uh, Victoria this uh, this article I just read it again uh, before we came online was was really interesting because I've having known you for so long I've I've seen things happen over periods of time but then looking back at yet your history is really interesting I think we all it's nice for all of us to do this and it's so wonderful to see you know one of our our youngest co-hosts and one of our most vibrant co-hosts uh, actually looking at themselves and saying to themselves gosh this is this is my life and I can imagine what what did you feel like when you first saw this article you know there's definitely been a lot of change over the past six years um, moving to Frederick and getting involved in the podcast Um before that, you know, I just was very under the radar, just struggling to become a pilot and finding my way in the world. So it's kind of um, reaffirms, uh, you know, this passion that I have and uh, makes me very thankful for the community I've developed and the friends that I've made. And um, it's all happened because I, I decided to finally put myself out there. I wasn't at the airport just to train and just to learn. I finally decided to you know, uh, get involved and learn more about the industry versus just rent a plane and then go home. And uh, I, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't become a pilot. Things would not be as interesting. <laughs> but it's affected uh, not just your aviation life, but the rest of your life. Uh, you've actually become involved in, 
in helping people realize their dreams, even if it's outside aviation. It's just this this is your avenue. This is the channel towards those people realizing their dreams. And I think that's really cool. Uh, and you're involved in advocacy with young folks and, and women getting into aviation, but also uh, you're also into many things with animals. And I think that's really cool. Uh, and animal rescue. And uh, there's so many different aspects of, of Victoria Nouvelle that, that really, I think, are exciting. And so I, just to talk a little bit about that, some people don't realize, you know, we look at you and we say, oh, yeah, you know, you're a commercial pilot, you sell insurance. Uh, you're, you've been on this podcast for a while, but uh, and you've written, what, three books so far? Is that right? Three books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you've done, what, two, three blogs now you're working on? And, yeah, uh, there's and then, been a few. But, <laughs> there's but, two right now. <laughs> but realize this, you've also, uh, and that's how we first met. Uh, yes. I'll never forget. Yeah. It's like, hey, Carl, here, grab a chair. And uh, <laughs> she, we, we were uh, doing a, uh, was it a Fly It Forward event? Uh, Fly It Forward. Yeah, and uh, we actually came to that event to help out. Uh, and you had been I on the podcast. Right to work. And you put, I think it was within five seconds, it's like, here, Carl, start moving chairs. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, nice meeting you too, Victoria. You got uh, me in boss <laughs> mode. <laughs> I was like, all right, there we go. But it was it was a great way to meet Victoria. It says a lot about, about Victoria. Is, is, is even though, you know, she's very excited, she, she's also very focused, which is good about what you do. And I think that's why you've been so successful in everything you've done, whether it's flying or, or you know, with the podcast here, et cetera. And remember this is that, I think people have to look at you now and realize that it, it wasn't just that easy. It was, it, was, it was a bit of a challenge in many ways. Let's look at the podcast, for instance. You became onto this podcast almost as, as almost like a reluctant host. I think, uh, was it Len Costa who started the podcast? Uh, you remember the story. You could probably tell it better than me. I mean, what happened there? How did you get involved with the podcast? I was tricked. I thought I was going to be a guest. <laughs> and then before I knew it, I was a co-host. So I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. And I have never done anything like this publicly. Um, you know, I actually get nervous when I'm on stage and in front of cameras and talking live. And um, so this was just a completely new avenue. And I'll tell you, I didn't go into it confidently, and I still don't think I'm the best speaker or podcaster. I'm sure there's way better people that could be on the show, but um, I'm like, I enjoy every minute of it, and it's definitely connected to me to a lot of people. And I love the people that reach out to me because I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the most modest person in the world. And so many people reach out to me for advice that I'm like, all right, now can I ask you advice? Because you're really cool. <laughs> like, why are you asking me? So, um, it's, it's very humbling. It's, it, it feels good. Awesome. And what's interesting is we've been able to see you develop and, and become better at everything you've done, whether it's in the podcasting world, etc. And I think people don't realize, and I'm glad you brought this up, you go out and do all these events, and you mm-hmm. speak to people, et cetera. You still get nervous, don't you? Oh my goodness! I yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's a a thing that many people face when you have self doubt or maybe low confidence uh, from previous failures. Um, my new blog is actually kind of raw. It's about me explaining how I've gained confidence through aviation and how I still falter at times. So. It's important to realize there's a common humanity against pilots. You know, um, I, I'll, I'll run into an airline pilot and you might think, wow, they're an airline pilot. 
they know everything. They're just so much better than me. But you know what? Carl has something to teach me, and I have something to teach Carl. And uh, we're all in the same boat here, and we all have our weaknesses, and we all have our strengths. And um, that's that's what been one of my greatest lessons. And that's that is a very important lesson. And that's where you know they they say there's old pilots and bold pilots, but not very many the old bold pilots. And and you have to realize that as a pilot, it really does humble you. It makes you realize that you really don't know everything, and there's so much to learn every single day. And uh, it it could be your student that you learn from, and you've been teaching for 20 years, and something all of a sudden they teach you something about aviation. It can happen. Uh, so I think that's a great point that you made there. Uh, and just you know, think about this: we can't know everything. It's impossible. And and so you you're you the listener. You're you have something to bring forward. Just like you know, with Victoria's story here, she has something she can bring forward to everybody in, in her life and in our lives. And this is, it's been wonderful having you on here. But one of the things that I think is neat is the fact that you've actually brought joy to, you know, the listeners, but to so, you've connected people, you've connected animals even to, to new families and to, to their new parents or, or their, their new owners, et cetera. And I think that's that's really really cool. I want to talk a little bit about that because that's something that I've really loved to get involved with. And what is what is your other than you have Turbo, of course, the flying dog. You know, <laughs> what what drives you to get involved with with some of these organizations? And you know, if I I want to get involved, how would I get involved in, in something that I can tie both aviation and my love of animals towards? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, you probably don't know this, but when I first uh, graduated from high school and went to college, I was on the path to become a vet. Oh, wow. And um, I worked at a groom shop and kennel. I managed it for nine and a half years. So um, animals have always been in my life, and I was at a crossroads and decided that I didn't want a career in veterinary medicine and uh, dropped out of college to become a pilot. So <laughs> here I am. Um, I'm finally... <laughs> making the circle and uh, doing stuff with animals like I've always wanted to. And adopting Turbo was kind of the inspiration for the fact that, you know, here I am flying and can come pick them up. Um, while I haven't been able to be actively involved in um, organizations like Fly Pups or Pilots and Paws, I definitely support them and market them. And um, through our uh, Paws and Planes events, um, been able to connect people with those organizations and um, with local dogs uh, that need rescuing. And uh, I encourage people that are looking for an excuse to fly. There's one. <laughs> um, Pilots and Paws is pretty probably the most well-known. That's all over the nation. Um, out here, we had fly pups come down to our Paws and Planes um, event. So there's there's people all over the country just looking for needing help for these rescue animals. Um, there's even been like sea turtles flown to oh, wow. safety, you know, to baby sea turtles flown places. So there's so many great ways to get involved if um, you're looking for an excuse to fly. No matter what your passion, whether it's animals, aviation, uh, you can combine those passions into something and make it an even greater passion and, and spread the joy. And there's there's so many people that have diverse interests like this. 
and having a love for animals like myself and loving aviation, it's so cool to be able to connect the two. And, and no, I didn't realize that you could fly the turtles around. Uh, <laughs> I, I do know FedEx, I think, flew a whale, uh, you know, the, and they've flown some really large, you know, there whale was a sharks. baby elephant somewhere too in Africa got, that got flown in like a caravan. Cute video. Wow. Wow. And, and the other thing too, is there's, there's so much awareness now that, that we realize that, you know, our, our pet friends, you know, they, they need our help and we need their help too. I mean, they, they bring so much to our lives and, and we can do this through aviation, which I think is really cool. So that you got the best of all worlds. So, you know, before, you know, we wrap up with you, Victoria, I just, I'm wondering, you know, you know, what, what's Victoria going to do next? I mean, we have, you have your commercial, uh, so where are you going with aviation and, and where are you going in your, your love for animals and your advocacy for animals? Hopefully only up. Um, <laughs> this year I'm kind of following my intuition and seeing where the winds take me. So I actually um, don't have a plan and I'm not holding myself to any goals. Um, I'm just trying for once to let what's meant to be be. And uh, I have a good feeling about it. Well, awesome. I love the aviation metaphors there and, and only up and let the wind take you to where, where it takes you. You know, and that's a lot of times that's what we do when we fly, don't we? We just go up there and for no reason, we don't need a flight plan. We just want to go enjoy the world around us. And I think that's cool that you're going to do that this year. So I'm really excited for you. And you. we're excited to keep having you on here at, at the Stuck Mike Avcast and just love to promote uh, everything you do. Oh, and the one thing we didn't talk about is your book, Turbo Flies Through History. That's your latest one. Uh, that's really cool. That's out. You can get that on Amazon, right? How do they find yeah. it? Yeah, you can find it at turbotheflyingdog.com or it's on Amazon. It is Prime. So um, that's his third book, and I think it's my favorite. Turbo the Flying Dog. Well, gosh, you know, th this has been, been awesome. We didn't... Uh, I, I don't know if you expected to get interviewed on, on the show here nope. this evening, but uh, <laughs> that article just kind of reminded us, uh, and it's a good thing to remind each other of why, you know, why we're important to each other and why Victoria is so important to us on the podcast and, and brings a, just a great, fresh perspective on many different things. So we look forward to a few more years of this, many more years of this, actually, so going forward. We appreciate all you do, that's for sure. I'm um, blushing. <laughs> redder than your head, you know? It's like you, you know? <laughs> well, we, we also, I, I love a lot of the pictures you've been doing on Instagram, and you've been running a lot of the Stuck Mike Avcast Instagram photos, and I, those are really, really cool out there. So keep up the good work on that one. Um, so if you want to find that article, uh, we have uh, links in the show notes. So you'll find that uh, in the show notes for this podcast, for this episode 136. Uh, as far as, let's see, our next topic here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, something else that's been good news. Uh, just a quick, uh, and I probably should have put this in the news event, was uh, there's uh, an AOPA article, which I think is cool. And i am actually been linking a lot to AOPA because I really like some of the writing they've been doing uh, and, and the way they've been presenting things on their, their website. So a big shout out to AOPA and also for their advocacy. But this article is about Sporty's Aviation Trend Report, and uh, it really does, it highlights some of the good news about aviation. I think that's really important, uh, that we are moving forward uh, with some really great things, and one of them is that aviation uh, is getting better, uh, it's getting safer, and uh, there's actually an uptick in aviation and in training. You know, whether it's somebody who's looking for 
some type of a airline job or you know they want to go out there and just fly for fun uh, they're really starting to become more involved and it seems like we're having this resurgence and I think a big part of that's through people that are very passionate like Victoria like sporties and like AOPA so uh, check out the link to that I think one of the things that I think is really cool is that they're they're putting more of, of all the stem programs into these high schools and there's there's so much advocacy for young people to get into flying whether it's for a career or whether you know, it's just something they want to do for fun and enhances their life, just like we were just talking about. It really does enhance everybody's life. So check out that article. There's uh, some really cool links to even some of the different, uh, um, you know, uh, scholarships and things like that that they have out there. So anyway, it's a good news for aviation. They're trending up, and we really, really love that. Uh, Russ and I were actually uh, looking out at uh, some uh, of the approach charts. I know, Russ, uh, we were talking about Medellin because uh, a couple of you have written in uh, to the podcast, and I think I asked in one or two podcasts ago that did you want us to talk about that Medellin approach? If you remember the person, uh, there was a, a flight that ran out of gas, and I was mentioning how the approach and arrival into Medellin uh, can be a little bit uh, tricky and it can be uh, a little bit challenging, I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, if you, one of the things that we we will do is I'm trying to get permission from Jeppesen to let me put these approach uh, plates on uh, the podcast and the show notes. As you know, these are all copywritten. So I have copies of that. I'm hoping to get those out there. But uh, we we do want to talk a little bit about this approach and this arrival. It doesn't it doesn't tie in so much with the running out of fuel, other than the fact that uh, this is a challenging approach and arrival into Medellin. So this was uh, runway one at Medellin that we were discussing, and how a lot of people uh, have some some challenges moving in there. Now, Russ, you're you're kind of a you know, a chart geek, and, and you're mainly, in, and you like the, the NACA charts, and you, you love the FA-type charts. Uh, you, <laughs> I showed you this uh, Jeppesen chart, and, and it can be just a little bit confusing, can it, for a couple reasons, right? Well, this this chart, well, yeah, well, number one, of course, I like you mentioned, uh, I'm far more familiar with the, uh, the domestic FAA charts. Uh, produced by the uh, agency formerly known as NACO, I suppose, and uh, I still how everybody knows them. That but funny? so the Jefferson chart is is a little bit more confusing. But it also has, as you kind of alluded to, it has some unusual things. And we were actually trying to look into uh, some of the details in this chart, and and it has a few confusing things. Uh, it has one of well, I think one of the main confusing points is it has two holding patterns overlaying each other. And uh, you had pointed this out, Carl, about uh, uh, the. The main, the holding in, the hold in lieu of a uh, procedure turn, uh, racetrack type pattern, and it's got another one over it that is at a lower altitude, but it's designated a little shorter, so it doesn't come close to terrain. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, yeah let's talk a little bit about that. It's kind of interesting, and, uh, and and actually, that one's a little higher. The one that's the ATC hold is actually supposed to be done at twelve thousand feet. Uh, but but let's let's talk a little bit about the approach. So you see how it gets confusing already. Uh, let, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah be, and and let's make sure we we look at the regular approach first, and then we'll go from there. So if anybody has this approach chart, or if you're looking at the blog post, and you can click on it, and we got permission from Jeppesen to have you look at it. Uh, what happens with this this approach is we have it's it starts over the Rio Negro. Uh, 
uh, VOR, and there's a holding pattern in lieu of procedure turn. We're just going to talk about that for a second. And that holding pattern is there's a depiction of 12,000 feet. So if you're you have a holding pattern in lieu of procedure turn, you know, you and you're given a clearance. Say you're at 14,000 feet and you're cleared to this VOR. You have to maintain that until you are actually over the VOR, then you can start your descent. Well, there's a couple of different altitudes on this on this holding pattern in lieu of procedure turn with some DME fixes within the holding pattern. So there's different step downs even within this holding pattern. And I, I like to liken it too, and a lot of people um, fly DME arcs. Just like in a DME arc, you have all these different step downs as you're approaching the airport. It's similar, but when you put it into a holding pattern, it kind of gets a little more confusing because it's all compressed. And that's why most yeah, this, people have a problem. This with is that. not, sorry to interrupt, Carl. This is not uh, actually an example that you'll see anything like in the U.S. Uh, step down fixes within a holding pattern. You just won't see that. It doesn't, it's not something that's applied in the U.S. So if you're, I guess if your first trip overseas is to Medellin, you really got to study up. I know you, I know you guys at the airlines have some special training to go in here. Is that correct? That is correct, actually. We actually have to, uh, in in this specific airport, have specific qualifications. We watch right. videos. We go over training in the simulator. So so we make sure that we can do these approaches uh, because they are so uh, – they're intricate. They're, they're a little bit confusing. And the other thing is they're right next to the mountains, and you have to be really, really careful. I do, I do want to make one point, though. When you're looking at any uh, letdown or any approach, always constantly think about two things. And number one, where am I? Number two, am I going to hit anything? In other words, where's my terrain? Constantly be asking yourself, where am I? What am I doing? What altitude should I be at? And never, ever let your guard down. I mean, I've done this approach a bunch of times. And sometimes I'm, I can find myself getting a little complacent. I have to say, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. We have to go through this, and we have to really pay attention because this, is, this can really get confusing. But going back to, to discussing this, uh, the VOR, there's a couple things. When you, when you start this hold in lieu of procedure turn, you have to start it at the lowest altitude of 12,000. You know, as I said, say we're at 14 or, or even 12, and we've descended. We're at 12,000 feet. When you turn outbound, you'll see another altitude that's depicted, and that altitude is 11,000 feet. And that's something that's the same as in the United States, right, Russ? We can see us going outbound and descending to an altitude, correct? And uh, Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, we wouldn't have that depicted in the holding pattern itself. We'd have that on a procedure turn, but not in a hold and loo, uh, not – not in the manner that they have on this one. Okay, so the, and the 12,000, 11,000. But you can actually go outbound, descend to 11,000 feet, and that's what this is depicted as on your, on your hold in lieu of procedure turn. That has to be done within this, and, and this is what gets confusing, within this 8 DME from the VOR. So you're outbound, you're at 12,000, descending to 11. Now you turn inbound and... You're going towards the VOR now. You go outbound, and you're within 8 DME. You turn inbound, and when you get to 5 DME, this is what gets really confusing. We have a step down, which is totally different than anything you see in the United States, as, as Russ had just said. And at this 5 DME fix now, we step down to 10,000 feet, and that is our altitude. We, we actually intercept the glide slope, our final approach, 
point and a flat out approach path and we descend in on the glide slope to our minimums. The problem is that there's, and Russ said this, there's another holding pattern depicted there. And that holding pattern is an air traffic control holding pattern. If you're told to hold over the VOR as published, you're going to hold on that 12, 000, at 12,000 feet over the Rio Negro VOR, which is depicted overlaying that hold in lieu of procedure turn. Do you see what happens? We have two different procedure turns, or two different holding patterns that are depicted on this chart. And that can get super confusing. The other confusing part, and this is really where it gets people, is that if you have a GPS or an FMS, which a lot of people have these days, how in the world do you program that into your GPS or your FMS? And that's what gets a lot of people in trouble, is that they get onto this arrival, they do this hold in lieu of procedure turn, but instead what they did is they put the hold pattern in, and they didn't put the hold in lieu of procedure turn. In other words, the ATC hold, which is a different distance, and it's a different airspeed. It's a it's it's all it's a whole nother ball game. So now you're sitting there looking at your FMS and you're saying to yourself, what do I need to do? If you get confused like that, it's time to go around and try it again. Uh, another interesting thing about this, and we'll back up to the arrival. We're not going to talk much about the arrival, but there's a couple of arrivals into this, or quite a few arrivals into this airport, which is true in the United States also, where you could be cleared for the arrival and the approach to a runway. So you can be going into, I used LA as an example, I'm sure there's others. You can be cleared for the arrival into Los Angeles and the ILS to runway, I forget the runways there, but to one of the runways there, and you can actually fly the whole arrival at, from 30,000 feet down to the ground. The same thing happens here. They have some arrival procedures that lead you to the Rio Negro VOR, which is the spot where you can maintain your altitude at 10,000 to intercept the glide slope. That is actually one of the easiest ways to do this arrival is to use the arrival procedure that brings you into the VOR at 10,000 feet because, like I said, your FMS, your GPS, when you program that, you can you could get confused with the different holding patterns and find yourself at the wrong altitude and in the wrong spot. And a great example of this is uh, have, and uh, there's a, a report that I was able to look up of a flight crew that went into this airport and decided that what they needed to do is they needed to hold at the VOR, but instead of holding as depicted as the air traffic control hold, they held at 10,000 feet along the hold in lieu of procedure turn. See how confusing this is getting? Instead of the hold in lieu, of, you know, they want to hold it as ATC tells them, but now they're doing the hold in lieu of procedure turn, and they're going way out on this arrival, on this uh, hold in lieu of procedure turn, and there's a they're at 10,000 feet, and what's right there? There's a peak at 9,700 feet. Jip whiz, you know, ground proximity warning system goes off, and they're, you know, fire wallet and climbing as fast as they can to get out of there, and uh, came kind of close to hitting that mountain. So if you go back and drill through some of the, some of the different reports, it's quite interesting to see that. Uh, so hopefully we've given you a decent description of that. Through the charts, it might be easier. Like I said, it's uh, hopefully I will be able to have those charts up on the website for you, but here's the point, is that whether you're doing an arrival, uh, whether a DME arc, which I know the arcs are a little simpler than this, so uh, I'll, I'll hear that from some people. But remember, your altitudes are incredibly important, and your step-down altitudes. And if you don't know if you should go lower, 
the best thing to do is to stop and not go down and then figure it out later. Go around, hold, you know, ask for a delay vector, etc. But be really, really careful in those areas where you have all this terrain around you because sometimes you can't just be vectored off and you have to fly a, a procedure down a valley, etc. So, Russ, you had a comment? Well, yeah, just a, one general comment. And we, we brought this up before. I know we did when we were talking about the, the cold weather temperature corrections and some of our other uh, you know, more uh, IFR-related episodes where, you know, the time to figure this stuff out is not as you're barreling into the airport at, uh, you know, 300 <laughs> knots or whatever, right? The time to figure this all out is before you leave the ground. That's I for mean, sure. it, you know, we're talking here and I, I have the approach right in front of me and, and I'm somewhat confused. <laughs> you know, So, yeah, that, that I can't imagine trying to fly and figure out exactly what you were talking about, the uh, the overlaying holding patterns and which one you're supposed to be in and when. You can't do that in the air. You need to do that on the ground. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I, I'd love to share also basically our training on this. I, and I'll, I'll send it to you, Russ. I'll see if, if my company will allow me to, to do this, to put it out there. I doubt it. But uh, it's really interesting because in our notes, we have a lot of red in our notes on this approach. And just, <laughs> yeah, just, sure. and just like you talked about, I mean, it's, you, you don't know. You get confused as to where you are. And one of the things that actually happened uh, or has happened to other flight crews is the fact that uh, you don't repeat the course reversal. So if you were, if you think you're supposed to do, and you wouldn't do this anyway, but there has been confusion as to, hey, do I do this course reversal again? You know, no. You're either holding or you're doing a course reversal, and that has happened. Where just like I said, there's people that thought they were supposed to hold at this one altitude on the on the hold and loop procedure turn, but they decide some crews have decided to do another course reversal at the. Rio Negro VOR, which you're supposed to be at 10,000 over the VOR, but if you're going to do the hold, you need to be up at 12,000. And that's another reason people get in trouble. Because if you're down at 10,000, you're supposed to be at 12. That 9,700 foot peak that's down there gets really close and kind of scary. And just like you said, you know, hopefully your altimeter is right. Uh, so, really important to read those charts. I think um, we brought this up because somebody was interested in this. And I would love to go over this more and maybe even talk a little bit about pans ops, but that's for a lot of people that are flying down to South America. And I know some of you do. You know, I've, I've heard some people write in that uh, have flown their, you know, 182s and 206s and, and various aircraft over the water and down to South America. And I'd love to hear some of your stories as to what you've run into. Uh, but there are challenging approaches there, and it's really important to, to read everything. And so there's challenging approaches here. Uh, right in uh, right in the U.S. I mean, you fly out of Reno, you fly into Los Angeles, you fly into a lot of different places that have some very, very challenging approaches. So make sure you keep yourself safe at a safe altitude and know where you are at all times and what altitude you should be at. Well, anyway, we have a lot of other topics we'd love to talk about this evening, but boy, uh, we're, we're getting close to, to the end of the podcast here. We've had a great conversation. Um, so it's, I think it's time to get to our, uh, our after landing checklist. And, uh, and what is that? That's our picks of the week is what we do there. Our picks of the week. Let's see. First up is, uh, actually, I think it's me with the pick of the week. And uh, it's, it's just a link to uh, a YouTube video, uh, the third class medical reform, what it means for you. And uh, that is actually a really cool video uh, that was put together by uh, the uh, uh, U.S. Sport uh, aviation, uh, U.S. sport cruisers, that's uh, 
by the folks out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's a real good explanation as to uh, what the new rules and the third-class medical reform will do for you. Now, this video is a little bit old, but it has a really good overview uh, of, of what's going to happen and has some really good charts. And Of course, it's, it's done in a very, very good manner, and I'm sure that there's gonna, we're going to see more of those. So, uh, so check that out. It's going to be a link to the, uh, to the video, to or the YouTube video. So, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Okay, yeah, my pick of the week is uh, is a book that I've been reading through. I'm almost done, not quite, but uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It's entitled "The Aviators: Eddie Rickenbacker, Jimmy Doolittle, Charles Lindbergh, and the Epic Age of Flight." And yeah, it it is a biographical book. You know, it's it's historical, of course. Um, and what I think is interesting is about three people that. Yeah, we've, we've we've heard about those those of us in aviation. These are pretty household names: Rickenbacker, Doolittle, and Lindbergh. And we know, you know, well, Rickenbacker was a uh, you know an ace in World War One, and we know Doolittle had the you know the bombing of of Tokyo, and of course Lindbergh, you know, uh, crossing the Atlantic. But most people don't know a whole lot else about what these guys did. <laughs> so, and you don't necessarily think that there's any relationship between these three people, but throughout this book, the author does a really good job of, of kind of tying these three together. And you realize, I mean, aviation in the, in the twenties and thirties was a really small community and, you know, everybody knew each other. Right. And I mean, these, these three guys, you know, were, were involved at, at all kinds of levels. They were, you know, the, the rock stars of the age in many ways. And, uh, and their paths cross and, uh, they work on things together. And it's just, a just a really interesting book with a lot of things that, that I didn't know. Um, it's not, you know, too deep into the history and background. It's, it's, it's well-written. It's very easily readable, uh, very interesting. And, and like I said, I, I, I think it's a fascinating book. It, it goes into, you know, a lot more detail on, on these, on these three, uh, guys than, than I really ever knew about. Well, that's interesting because there there is so much we don't know about uh, Doolittle, Lindbergh, et cetera. And uh, you know, we did an episode way back with uh, Jimmy Doolittle's granddaughter, and she actually wrote a book about her about him. And uh, it just just fascinates me. Just like you said, we really don't know what happened in the the after story. I mean, it's that that I can't wait to get my hands on that book. So when you finish it, let us know how you like <laughs> yeah, the rest sure. of it. And I'm going to borrow it. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks for that one, Russ. Uh, Rick, uh, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, um, uh, many of you know I sort of collect um, uh, weather apps for um, – for handheld devices, mostly iOS, but uh, sometimes both. And uh, you know, I, I even I even have one of my own, uh, my personal weather station. But the one there's one that I found recently that's been around a while. This is not just for it's really specifically not for aviation. It is just a weather app, but it's very um, I like the way it's laid out and it's organized very well. It's called Weatherline, and I don't know if any of you have tried that yet. Basically, um, it depicts a variety of uh, information in a uh, horizontal line pattern so you can quickly see uh, movement of um, temperature and uh, um, you know, highs and lows as well as the the forecast for each each day and there's also a breakout to I me mean, you can look at um, a daily forecast monthly uh, and actually yearly trends for where you are monthly trends over a year I should say um, so it's called weatherline you can you can find it at weatherlineapp.com and uh, it also has data pulled for uh, forecasting from dark sky so you'll get a dark sky alert with it and if um 
you like to use widgets, uh, lock screen widgets. There is it has a lock screen widget. So um, and it's uh, it's a couple bucks, but uh, very nice um, quick glance weather pattern app called Weatherline. Weatherline. Okay, cool. That that's neat. The uh, I have to check that one out. Get in my lock screen. Um, so Victoria, what is your pick of the week? Um, just two things. Uh, I bought the aviators for my grandpa for Christmas, and I wish I had read it before I gave it to him. And oh, second, <laughs> I love the word widget. Um, <laughs> third, uh, my uh, my pick of the week is actually I've been binge watching uh, The Man in the High Castle. It's a TV show on Amazon Prime. And in it, um, throughout every few episodes, there's just a quick little look at um, an airplane flown by the Nazis that is a lot like the Concorde. And it's an imaginary airplane, but any airplane geek watching this show um, will love to pick up on that and take a closer look and pause it and rewind it like I did a few times. So if uh, you like to have Amazon Prime and like to check out a new TV series, uh, check out The Man in the High Castle. It's about what if we lost uh, World War II, and uh, has a really cool jet in it. Awesome, yeah, it's a that's a great series. I started watching that, and uh, really what, great, wonderfully put together, great cinematography, and uh, the cool cool looking airplane too. So so go check out the plane and, and check that out. We'll have a link to that by the way in the in the show notes. So I like that one, Victoria. Thanks. Yeah, it's good. Um, let's see. Uh, next up is Larry. Larry, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, well, I, I had something different that I was going to go with, but um, just sitting here talking with you guys about the uh, approach into Medellin um, and you know, taking the time to look at it and look through it and understand it and ask questions about it and say, you know, what would be different if I was flying, you know, in a 206 instead of in a, uh, you know, an Airbus or whatever? Um, and, you know, what would you do in those kinds of scenarios? Um that reminded me an awful lot of our uh, IMC club here in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, so I guess uh, I'm kind of switching gears here and pivoting a little bit uh, for my pick of the week to be EAA's IMC club. And uh, IMC club is uh, just that they're local chapters. You can find them, uh, you know, online Uh, and it's a chance to get together. You know, ours gets together once a month um, and we sit down, walk through a video that uh, gives you an aviation scenario, an IMC uh, instrument, you know, IFR scenario. Um, and gives you the chance to really talk out what is you know what does this mean or what does that mean or what would you do or what is the rule about that again or you know whatever and it's a lot of fun you learn a lot and it kind of keeps your head in the game for those of us who aren't flying IFR you know kind of all the time like you are Carl um, you can uh, get to their site uh, at imcclubs.org which is really kind of a shortcut site that'll redirect you onto the uh, EAA uh, website and to the right page there where you can find a local chapter and check it out but I've sure enjoyed being part Part of our IMC club here locally, and uh, I know there are chapters all across the country. So if you enjoyed what we were doing tonight, uh, you know, in really dissecting that approach into Medellin, uh, you might want to check out IMC clubs. Yeah, and at least sign up for their emails and their newsletters because they always yeah, definitely. have some really good stuff that comes out. So uh, even if you don't join one, it'll, it'll make you want to join, that's for sure. So thanks for that one. That's a, that's a really good pick of the week. Uh, Tom, uh, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I had a student over the uh, holiday season who gifted me a book that uh, I didn't have on my in my library, and it is uh, Stick and Rudder, uh, the ex- an explanation of the art of flying by Wolfgang Langevich. And I tell you what, uh, for a book that was written in 1944, 
this thing's really cool and appropriate to flying. I mean, it just I'm I'm fascinated by. It. I'm not all the way through it yet. I'm still uh, still reading it and digesting it. But uh, I, I really I've really been enjoying it. And uh, you know, this is like one of those classics that needs to be on everybody's shelf. So if you don't have a copy of it, I I suggest you go out and get one because it's uh, it's really cool. That is a great book, Tom. Yeah, definitely is a great. I, I actually recommend all my students to have that book, and it's some things don't change, do they, in aviation? You know, and and people are passionate about it, and also want to learn the basics, and that's a, a great book to learn the basics. And also, I liked how you the pronunciation. Of course, you knowing some German, you were able to do that. But uh, uh, one of the things that I I always struggle with is how in the world do you say that last name, Tom? How do you say that last name again? I believe it's Langevich. Langevich, yes. I, I, I can't do it. But, uh, but that, that actually is also available at Amazon. We have a bunch of links to Amazon, obviously, on here. So, uh, And if you could, come to the show notes and link over there, because uh, that actually helps us through an affiliate link uh, put this podcast together. The After Landing Checklist. Another thing I want to do is say thanks uh, because we haven't. This is our first podcast together as a team uh, for the new year, and thanks to you, all the listeners, and for for helping support this podcast. One of the things I'd like to do is is challenge you to go out and and learn some of these new rules that we've talked about, and and look at medical reform and watch some of these videos. Remember, we had that video of the week with Mark Baker with the comments on medical reform. Very simple, very very well put together. And there's going to be a lot more information out there. What I'd like to challenge you to do is keep looking at all the information that comes out. If you have questions, start writing to us, but write also to those people that are producing those videos like AOPA and the FAA. There's some really good information out there, and I am very excited, as everybody here at the Stuck Mike Avcast is excited about the new medical reform and the new rules. Well, folks, we really appreciate you listening this evening. We'll talk to you next episode safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.